Hello everybody, this is Kia from Wicked Majesty and you are listening to Tea and Terror Podcast, the show that entertains with true and fictional stories from beyond the grave for people who love horror. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to another night of terror and classic macabre on Tea and Terror Thursdays. I am your host, Kia Reed. If you are new here, welcome to the Wicked Majesty channel. I post horror stories, gothic tales, and creepypastas that will get your blood rushing and nightmares beyond your imagination. If you are a returning subscriber, thank you very much for watching my videos and subscribing. You definitely help my channel flourish and I greatly appreciate it. Tonight I will be reading The Striding Place by Gertrude Atherton. Striding Place by Gertrude Atherton is a short story about Weedell, an English aristocrat from Yorkshire, pondering the loss of his missing friend, Wyatt Gifford. The story involves Weigel looking back on his time with his dear friend, which he loved more than anything. When going on a late night walk, Weigel recalls him and Gifford's conversation about the connection between the body and soul. Interrupted, he comes across an extremely narrow and dangerous body of water, also known as the Stride. If you make it through the entire episode, and you like what you heard tonight, and you're listening to the podcast on Spotify iHeartRadio, Apple Podcast, or SoundCloud, then please share the Tea and Terror podcast with others and add it to your playlist. If you are listening from my Wicked Majesty YouTube channel, please hit that like button and subscribe to my channel. Thank you very much. Now, on with the story. Weedle, continental and detached, tired early of grouse shooting, to stand propped against a sod fence while his host, workmen, routed up the birds with long poles and drove him towards the waiting guns, made him feel himself a parody on the ancestors who had roamed the moors and forest of this riding of Yorkshire in hot pursuit of game worth killing. But in England, in in August, he always accepted whatever proffered for the season, and inviting his host to shoot pheasants on his estate in the south. The amusements of life, he argued, should be accepted with the same philosophy as its ills. It had been a bad day. A heavy rain had made the moor so spongy that it fairly sprang beneath the feet. Whether or not the grouse had haunts of their own, wherein they were immune from rheumatism, the bag had been small. The women, too, were an unusually dull lot, with the exception of a new-minded debutante who bothered Weagle at dinner by demanding the verbal restoration of the vague paintings of the vaulted roof above them. But it was no one of these things that sat on Weagle's mind, as when the other men went up to bed, he let himself out of the castle and sauntered down the river. His intimate friend, 
the companion of his boyhood, the chum of his college days, his fellow traveler in many lands, the man whom he possessed stronger affection than for all men, had mysteriously disappeared two days ago, and his track might have sprung to the upper air for all trace he had left behind him. He had been a guest on the adjoining estate during the past week, shooting with the fervor of the true sportsman, making love in the intervals to Adeline Cabin, and apparently in the best spirit. As far as was known, there was nothing to lower his mental mercury, for his rent roll was a large one. Miss Caravan blushed whenever he looked at her, and being one of the best shots in England, he was never happier in August. The suicide theory was preposterous. All agreed, and there was a little reason to believe him murdered. Nevertheless, he had walked out of March Abbey two nights ago without hat or overcoat, and had not been seen. The country had been patrolled night and day. A hundred keepers and workmen were beating the wood and poking the bogs on the moors, but as yet not so much as a handkerchief had been found. Weagle did not believe for a moment that Wyatt Gifford was dead, and although it was impossible not to be affected by the general uneasiness, he was disposed to be more angry than frightened. At Cambridge, Gifford had been an inaugurable practical joker, and by no means had outgrown the habit. It would be like him to cut across the country in his evening clothes, board a cattle train, and amuse himself touching up the picture of the sensation in West Riding. However, Weagle's affection for his friend was too deep to companion with tranquility. In the present state of doubt, and instead of going to bed early with the other men, he determined to walk until ready for sleep. He went down to the river and followed the path through the woods. There was no moon, but the stars sprinkled their cold light upon the pretty belt of water flowing placidly past wood and ruin. Between green masses of overhanging rocks or sloping banks tangled with tree and shrub, leaping occasionally over stones with the harsh note of an angry scold to recover its equanimity the moment the way was clear again. It was very dark in the depths where Weagle trod. He smiled as he called a remark like a good many other things in life very promising at a distance but a hollow mockery when you get within you see daylight on both sides and the sun freckles the very bracket our woods need the night to make them seem what they ought to be what they once were before our ancestors descendants demanded so much more money in these so much more various days Weagle strode along, smoking and thinking of his friend. His pranks, many of which had done more credit to his imagination than this, and recalled conversations that had lasted the night through. Just before the end of the London season, they had walked the streets one hot night after a party, discussing the various theories of the soul's destiny. That afternoon, they had met at the coffin of a college friend whose mind had been a blank for the past three years. Some months previously, they had called at the asylum to see him, 
His expression had been senile. His face imprinted with the record of debauchery. In death, the face was placid, intelligent, without ignoble lineation. The face of the man they had known at college. Weedle and Gifford had no time to comment there, and the afternoon and evening were full. But coming forth from the house of festivity together, they had reverted almost at once to the topic.